The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from 3 John 5-8. through Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. This is the word of the Lord. If you have a copy of God's Word, we'll be right there in 3 John. And as you're turning there, let me just again say it's a joy and privilege to be here. Always a joy to open God's Word with God's people. Certainly a joy to be with one of our sister churches. I bring greetings on behalf of my local church, Open Door in Raleigh. And it is a joy to partner together, to associate together in this network called Pillar so that we can, as, as I talked about, start and strengthen churches all over the world. My sermon today from 3 John is going to talk about that. It's going to talk about the characteristics of cooperation. As I said a second ago, we believe it is central to the Great Commission for churches to cooperate together, to associate together, to start and strengthen churches, indeed, because the local church holds the keys of the kingdom. And I think Third John is a very helpful book in that regard, and I'll hope to show you why. Now, before we turn our attention there, just some introductory comments about uh, the book of Third John. But before I give those, let me just see by a raise of hands, how many of you in this room have heard a sermon from Third John? Just raise your hand. It's like a handful of people. So for most of you in this room, this is going to be both the best and worst sermon you've ever heard on the book of Third John. So I have a high bar and a low bar to set. But Third John is the shortest book in the entire Bible. It's only 219 words in the Greek. If you have the ESV app, it actually takes Kristen Getty about two minutes to read the entire book. And because it is so short, some have called it a neglected book, even though it's a book that has a lot to offer to churches. It has a lot to offer to aspiring pastors and missionaries. It has a lot to write to those who support missionaries. Really, as with all the New Testament, with all all the Bible, it has something for every Christian. my, My dad, who has written two commentaries on 3 John, says this, the church has neglected 3 John for too long and has done so at its own expense. And brothers and sisters, I pray that that may not be said of Redeemer Church here in Fuquay. It's my prayer after studying this book that you will both as a church and as individual Christians be captivated by this little book. That because of it, you will cooperate together as brothers and sisters here in this church, but also partner with other like-minded churches in such a way that we will be able to look at what our partnership has done and say with the psalmist, this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, as we turn our attention to this little letter, let me try to set the context. And if, if I can, let's try to think as best we can, put ourselves in the scene of what's happening in 3 John. Imagine you are facing serious opposition from a supposed Christian leader, a man that we're going to see who's known as Diotrephes. You are facing this opposition and you might be wondering, am I living in a way that honors Christ? Is what I'm doing with my time and my talents and my treasures for the good of other Christians, is it worthy of the cause of Christ? And as you wrestle with these questions, and as you face this opposition, along comes this letter sent to you by a godly mentor in the faith, really sent to you by the man who is your father in the faith. That's what's happening with Third John. So I want to read the entire letter so we can just imagine what it would be like to receive that letter. And we know this, that 
John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, writes this as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. Says this, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also add our testimony. You know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we work through this letter. Father, I pray now as we take and bring our attention to the book. Father, I pray that you would have mercy upon me, a sinner. Father, I pray that you would help me to preach with confidence in your word for the good of your people. Father, I pray that I'd preach with clarity. And Father, I pray that I would lift up Jesus. So Father, now would you sanctify us in the truth. And Father, we know your word is truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up with three brothers and no sisters, and we fought all the time. My, my poor mom basically lived in a male dormitory her whole life. And I still remember one of the biggest fights we ever had. It was at this after-school program, actually at the seminary up in Wake Forest. And my uncle was leading this after-school program. We were in middle school, uh, in, in like late elementary school, me and my brothers. And on this particular day, we were playing soccer out at one of the fields. And for whatever reason, during the, the soccer match... My twin brother, for you just, again, I think for no reason, at some point during the match, he and I began to get into a fight. Now, considering how godly I was at 12, it had to have been his fault. Now, as we're in this fight, we actually roll to the ground and we're rolling on the ground fighting. And so the brother that's on his team walks over to me and as hard as he can, he kicks me in the back. So what do you think the brother on my team does? He walks over and he punches that brother in the face. And then all four of us are rolling on the ground fighting. My uncle used to be an undercover cop in Atlanta, so he liked to watch fights, so he just let it happen. That was until another adult walked onto the field, and so he wanted to act responsible and concerned for what's happening, and so he broke up the fight. Now, as I think about those childhood memories, I cannot help but wonder if my mom's favorite verse might have been an adaptation of Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when the Aiken brothers dwell in unity. Now, the truth is, yes, my mom should want her biological sons to play and participate in things together in unity, but how much more so does our Heavenly Father desire it among His children to whom He has given a great mission? 
We are brothers and sisters. This theological truth is testified to in basically every single New Testament epistle. And part of what we are called to in the New Testament is a participatory cooperation in the mission that God has given to his churches. A cooperation that extends and happens not just through autonomous local churches, but among autonomous local churches as we associate or network together for the sake of the name and for the sake of those who do not yet know his grace. Third John, then, I believe, provides us with a picture of the sort of things that both promote, but also the things that hinder cooperation among Christians and cooperation among local churches. As in this book, we're going to see characters and churches who are commendable in this regard, but we're also going to see a character and a church that is condemnable in this regard. So I want to consider then this morning, who will we be? Who will the pillar network be? Who will Redeemer be in the area of cooperation as we work our way through 3 John and what I'm calling the nine C's of cooperation. The nine C's of cooperation that promote gospel advance among the nations. And we see first the first two C's, consistent character and conviction. We see this in verses one and two. Notice how John starts his letter. Notice his pastoral affection. It says this, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. He begins the letter by calling himself the elder. Peter does something similar in first Peter. He calls himself a fellow elder and he addresses the recipient of this pastoral letter, a man named Gaius. He, he uh, addresses him as his beloved, or as you heard in the other translation, as his dear friend. He calls Gaius, who is possibly a pastor or just a prominent member, he calls him his dear friend. He addresses him with fatherly and pastoral affection. So just know, as we begin this letter, just know who Gaius is. The disciple whom Jesus loved, loved this man named Gaius, and we will see why. Now, John's love for his friend, which he expresses four times in this short letter, is shaped by the truth. He says he loves him in the truth. This is not misplaced sentiment. It is a love rooted in the truth. For it is so true that as Christians, we are to be both heart and head people. And it's such an appropriate way for us to consider Christian love and to consider Christian relationship this this morning. We who have been loved by God through the work of his son are now linked in that love. And that love has as its basis what is most true about the world. It is a great gift then that we should thank the Lord for. We should fall on our knees, as Bonhoeffer says in his book, Life Together. We should thank the Lord that he gives us dear friends. He gives us brothers and sisters who have become that to us through the gospel to live the Christian life with. Now, John not only expresses his love, he also gives this brief prayer of blessing here in the first two verses. And listen to the prayer, because it's an amazing one. He prays that Gaius' physical health would match his spiritual health. We're starting a new year. Would you want me to pray over you that your your physical health would match your spiritual health? You know, when we start a new year, we are typically obsessed with healthy living. And by we, I don't mean me. I mean American culture. You can tell pretty clearly. But we're told to exercise daily, to to get lots of sleep, to, to eat whole foods. We're told to eat organic foods, just code word for expensive foods. We're told to eat kale. As Ron Swanson says, that's simply the food that my food eats. We're told to not eat processed food, which means no queso for us. And who wants to live in a world like that? And some have even begun an assault on bacon itself. We are living in the last days indeed. But we must remember when Paul says in another place, he says that bodily training is of some value. 
In fact, these verses here are showing us when it comes to the prosperity heresies, we don't need to overly swim the pendulum. It is good and appropriate for us to desire both the physical and spiritual health of our friends and our family. Certainly desire that among our fellow members. All the while understanding, again, what Paul says in another place, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. John wants what is best for Gaius in every way. And that's easy to do because he is a man who is consistent in his conviction and conduct. Indeed, he knows the truth, he knows doctrine, and he lives by it. And he's consistent in that, so much so that John asked for his physical health to match his spiritual health. So for our application purposes this morning, and might say like this, in a social media world where we see great strife even among Christians, it is my prayer that both of Redeemer and of Pillar, that we would absolutely hold to the right convictions and doctrine, but that we would do so in the right way. That we would be people of courage and compassion, people of humility and happiness, indeed consistent with the ethic we see in the New Testament. Which leads to the third C, that we see here children. We should rejoice in and labor for spiritual children. John continues highlighting the consistent character and conviction of Gaius. Here's what he says. I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John is a wonderful spiritual father and pastor. He rejoices at hearing the testimony from some of the members of his church as they come back, come back and they speak about his friend Gaius. This reminds me of one of the first pictures we see of cooperation and interchurch relationship in the New Testament. We see this in the book of Acts. There we see that the church of Jerusalem sends down Barnabas down to Antioch to check out what is going on there. And it says when he got there, when he saw the church at Antioch, it says when he saw the grace of God, he was glad. John here is greatly rejoiced at what he hears. Brothers and sisters, this sort of attitude, this is the sort of attitude that fosters cooperation for the sake of mission. When we want others to flourish... When churches are not competitive with other like-minded churches, but instead work with them, cooperate with them on mission together, as you guys have done with churches here locally like Fairview and others. And we see why it's easy to be glad at the flourishing of others like this man Gaius in his case, because you might say Gaius, like Timothy in Acts, is well spoken of by the brothers. He's well spoken spoken of by because he walks in the truth. To say that another way, his belief and his behavior match. And upon hearing this, that he is consistent in his conviction and in his character, John is overjoyed. Indeed, you might say, John pulls for others. He pulls for those in whom he has mentored, who he has multiplied himself in. And we know this multiplication is not just the work of the pastors. We are all to to multiply ourselves as we're called to in the Great Commission, to making disciples. This is how churches will be planted. And just as we take great joy in seeing our physical children prosper... You know, it brings great joy to to Kelsey and I when we first started seeing Ada walk, even clumsily at first. It's so much more so for spiritual growth and maturity. John takes here great joy in his spiritual son, a son in whom he has likely played a pivotal role in his coming to faith and in his equipping for ministry. So again, for application purposes, we should labor and rejoice in the flourishing, both of our physical children and our spiritual children. And we should rejoice in the prospering of other brothers and sisters whose belief and behavior match, who will also then multiply themselves in the Great Commission and in great great cooperation. Now, the fourth C, the text takes a little bit of a turn, but we see the fourth C is care. 
John now gives us an example of why Gaius is commendable in truth and love, and it is one that I hope characterizes every member of this church. Here's what it says, verse five, beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And then therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. One of the reasons this man, Gaius, is commendable for walking in the truth is connected to his support of missionaries. Indeed, John is saying here, it is a faithful thing done by a faithful man for faithful brothers. In fact, he works hard in this effort. That's what's being said there in verse 5. And these efforts, there's this idea of working hard in this. His, His generosity and care for these missionaries spurs the mission. And we will see in a minute that John likely wrote a letter to this church instructing this kind of work, instructing this kind of labor. And Gaius, if he is an elder, is a good elder. Why? Because we see the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 here. He is not greedy for gain. Instead, he is hospitable and a lover of good. As he is generous not just to his friends, but he is generous to strangers who have gone out on a gospel assignment. And because of Gaius' care, these unknown brothers come back and they add their testimony to John about love of Gaius, about who he is as a man in his character. And I want you to hear me this morning, particularly those in this room that might want to be missionaries or pastors or church planters. I want us to see the important role the local church plays in the life of the missionary. The sending church plays in the life of the one being sent. Because if you have eyes to see, these verses are very instructive to the central role that the local church plays in the lives of those who are sent. We see cooperation here. We see associating here. We see relationship between the churches as well. As these missionaries return to their sending church, likely John's church, and they testify testify before the gathered congregation, likely on a Sunday morning, just like this one, they testify to the great things that God has done, which includes the great care of Gaius on their behalf. So in verse six, John says, send these kind of people on in a manner worthy of God. Now, my dad argues that worthy of God here likely modifies both the work of Gaius and the work of the missionaries. As what Gaius is doing is worthy of God and what these missionaries do are worthy of God. What we are doing and caring for and giving to and sending on missionaries and church planters is worthy of God. And certainly what those missionaries and planters are doing is worthy of God. The word here for send them on is just one word in the Greek. It's the Greek word propempo, which carries the idea of being sent with provisions for the next part of the journey. I think that's an appropriate definition for the type of cooperation we are trying to do to plant churches all over the world. You help send people like Jesse Nelson on, like Ian Kitchen on, with provisions for the next part of the task. In fact, Paul uses that same word, that same Greek word he uses it in Romans 15, 24, as he expresses his desire to come see the church at Rome so that he can then by the church at Rome be sent on to missionary, as a missionary to Spain. We even see there this wonderful picture of cooperation among churches through the work of missionaries. Rome, the book of Romans then, is not just a theological treatise. It is a missionary tract. 
So that when Paul, sent out as a missionary from the church at Antioch, gets to the church at Rome, they will then send him on. They will propempo him on with provisions for the sake of the Spaniards. And doing this work, both Paul and the church at Rome and the church at Antioch is all worthy of God. Which leads for probably the most important C of the whole thing, of healthy cooperation. It's the fifth C, and that is concern for the name or concern for the cause. Look again at verse 7. They have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Why is what Gaius is doing? Why is what these missionaries doing worthy of God? It is worthy worthy because of the cause that they have. They have gone out for the sake of the name that will be named above all names. They have gone out like Paul and Barnabas from Antioch on a great mission. We do this, brothers and sisters. We give our lives to this cause. We support others who do. And we see here in the text, we do so not relying on funds from the unconverted because our God is worthy of global praise. Which leads to the sixth C. We see here the command to cooperation, the command to further care. Look again at verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Don says we ought to do this. We ought to support people like this. For when you support planters and missionaries, we do so for a purpose, for a reason connected to the cause that we, we who help send them out, might become fellow workers for the truth. It then is a good saying, not all go, but all help send. This is the cause of every Christian. And because of the greatness of the cause, there is an obligation to this work. These brothers, these gospel workers have gone out in a sacrificial way for a great task. We then ought to support them in a sacrificial way worthy of that great task. And in so doing, there's a tremendous foundation for why. For in so doing, we become fellow workers with them in spreading the truth everywhere. You might say their labors become our labors, their struggles become our struggles, and their victories become our victories. All of this done for the glory of somebody else, not for the glory of ourselves or our fellow workers. We'll see this is a temptation in just a moment. No, this is all done for the praise of another. Cooperation then for the starting and strengthening of churches is not just the work of the planter. It's not just the work of the missionary. It is the work of all Christians. That's why we're involved with something like pillar. For by so doing, we become co-laborers who are there with them. So that even if you never go to the Balkans, but you support Jesse, you are working with him for the eternal joy of image bearers right now who need to know that redemption is available in the gospel. Now, as I considered how to drive home, how awesome and worthy this task is, and the oughtness of this kind of cooperation, I kept coming back to this one letter. And it's a letter that the great Baptist missionary Adoniram Judson wrote. He wrote this to the man he hoped would become his father-in-law as he asked for his daughter's hand in marriage and for her to join him in the missionary cause to go to India. I think it's an appropriate letter given the text on cooperation because Judson would be the one who would rally Baptist churches in America to actually form Baptist associations so that they could support the work that they were doing in South Asia. And here's what he wrote to his soon-to-be father-in-law. These are amazing words. They're kind of hard to get through. He says this, I have now to ask. Whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. To see her no more in this world. 
whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of one in distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. And then he gives a gospel motivation. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise who shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved? Through her means from eternal woe and despair. Friends, one of the reasons it's so hard for me to read that is the first time I ever pasted that quote into my sermon manuscript. My little two year old was sitting right in front of me, typing on the computer, fake typing, and saying, Look at me, Daddy, I'm just like you. Those of us in this room, Students that may be in this room, I'm absolutely convinced that he who left his heavenly home is worthy of your life. And adults and senior adults, from students all the way up and everybody in between, I'm convinced that he who left his heavenly home is worthy of your life. And for my little girl, I'm absolutely convinced that he is worthy of her life. And when we do this kind of work, we support people who go out like Judson and like his wife. We are doing something that is worthy of God, worthy of the very God who has sent his son to redeem us from eternal woe and despair. Now, the letter takes a sharp turn as it now highlights what a hindrance to cooperation could be. And it's the seventh C and had to stretch it a little bit to keep the alliteration. But the seventh C is that we would not be conceited. Look at verse 9. He says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. We are introduced to this man named Diotrephes, and we don't know if he's a fellow elder with Gaius. We don't know if he's a pastor nearby. We don't know if he's just kind of an unruly member who has a lot of influence. But we see another facet of John's pastoral care as now he is going to absolutely take on the wolves as the one called the sons of thunder will keep with his name. John has apparently written a previous letter to the church about supporting gospel workers and Diotrephes has just ignored it. John says he does not acknowledge our authority as he likely sees John's authority as a challenge to what he perceives to be his own. In fact, there's a reason. The text tells us there's a reason he doesn't acknowledge it. He wants to be first, or you can say it another way, he loves to have the preeminence. So he will have nothing to do with John. He will have nothing to do with John's missionaries. And we see Diotrephes stands in stark contrast to Gaius. Gaius welcomes the brother. Diotrephes does not. Gaius loves to serve. Diotrephes loves to be first. And whereas we see charity and humility promote unity and cooperation, competition and pride are massive threats to gospel partnership. 
Diotrephes, like the Pharisees, loves the seats of honor. He is about his name and not the name. He's about his glory and not the king's glory. He wants the spotlight. He wants to be on the platform. He wants the following. He wants the numbers. He wants the recognition. He wants the seats of honor. It then seems instructive to me in this letter that there are anonymous brothers here in the text who have gone out for the sake of somebody else who are commendable in this book. And there's one who absolutely wants his name named, who absolutely wants recognition that is condemned. Diotrephes so badly wants the preeminence that he badmouths John, says he talks wicked nonsense against him. And in essence, he becomes an accuser of the brothers. And not content stopping there, he actively works against these gospel workers. And not content stopping there, he erroneously excommunicates those who have supported these missionaries and become fellow workers of the truth. The spirit of Diotrephes is one that is content in stopping gospel work that doesn't bring one's own self glory. It is one that is content with gossiping and subtly tearing down others in order to make yourself look better or feel more important. Brothers and sisters, humility is a massive, massive need for the cause, which is why Satan so often tempts us to pride. It's my prayer that we remember in a selfie culture that God is pleased to humble the proud. And God is pleased to raise up the humble. In light of this, John gives an exhortation to guys. We see our 8C, be commendable. Look at verse 11. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. He wants, to see, he wants us to see the dichotomy between the faithful and the unfaithful. He is possibly worried that Diotrephes' behavior will influence Gaius. So he says, in keeping with Paul and other places, he says, imitate what is good, for by so doing you will reveal which path you were on. And in contrast, John turns to another commendable character, one whose scholars believe may actually be the carrier of the letter when he says this, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, and we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. We're introduced to this man named Demetrius who only gets one verse in the entire Bible, and what a verse it is. It's possible that he is either a missionary himself, and John is saying, you ought to support people like him. Or he's one who has generously supported missionaries. And John is saying, imitate him. Either way, he is an example worthy of imitation, unlike Diotrephes. Again, see the contrast. Instead of denying the brothers, he, like Gaius, is well spoken of by them. He has received a good testimony from everyone. He is also consistent in his creed and conduct. As even the, uh, even, uh, He's got a good testimony even from the truth itself. And he's also well spoken of by John, who Gaius seems to know. John saying, I don't throw those commendations around very lightly. Essentially what John is saying or how we may say it in our day is, you know, so-and-so is such a good brother. You know, so-and-so is such a sweet sister. And that is what is being said of Demetrius here. So again, for our application purposes, let's just say this, commendable brothers and sisters are easy to partner with. So may we be those kind of brothers and sisters who are sound in doctrine and commendable in our convictions and in our character, for it will reveal whether we are from God or whether, sadly, with diatrophies, we have never seen him. John concludes his letter as he began with hope and with another brief prayer of blessing. He says this, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to come to you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. John concludes telling Gaius, 
You might just, in our day and time, say it like this, I just gave you the cliff notes. I had so much more to say, but when I come to deal with diatrophies, I would rather say those things in the physical presence of my friend. And then he says, it's the only time in the New Testament that believers are called friends. He says this, the friends greet you. Greet the friends. You see his pastoral affection and the personal nature of his pastoral ministry. He says, greet them by name. It's an amazing short letter. It's an interesting one. There are main characters in the story like John, like Gaius, like Demetrius, even this negative character Diotrephes. But for a New Testament letter, there is one obvious one who seems missing. In fact, he's a subtle character, never mentioned by name. And yet he is the very one who gives us the example to imitate these eight marks. But more than that, he is the one who gives us the power to do so. And even the forgiveness when we don't, because in these characteristics, he never failed. And he's the final seat. Indeed, Jude will talk about this. Listen to this, because it's a wonderful thing when you think about being consistent in our conviction and in our conduct. Jude tells us we look to the one who is able to, listen to this, present us blameless before the presence of God's glory. Listen to this, how he does so, with great joy. Indeed, you might say he has no greater joy than to make sure his children are walking in the truth. The one who would go out for the sake of the name, doing the works of him who sent him. The one who would provide for his workers all that they would need. Paul would tell us in another place that he would, for the sake of his workers, become poor so that they, by his poverty, might become rich. The one who is called the friend of sinners, the prince of peace, who will appear in the midst of his brothers after the resurrection and say to them, peace be to you. And we go out as his sheep for the sake of his name to be fellow workers for the truth. And we understand this morning, the truth is not ultimately a set of true propositions. No, the truth has a blood type and the truth has a name, Jesus of Nazareth, who threw down the accuser of our brothers at the cross. As hour after hour, he stood there. He hung in our place to take away the penalty of our sin. Even sins like we see here in 3 John, we fail to do the things that are mentioned in this text. He hung there in our place as the judgment of God do our wickedness and our sin touched down upon him at Golgotha. And what he did in that moment was take away our enemy's weapons, weapons of accusations. As now, after we have received Christ's righteousness, as we've received a righteousness that is not our own, Satan's accusations against us have only become wicked nonsense. Think about that. When Satan accuses you, if you are in Christ, his accusations against you are wicked nonsense. And Christ at the cross has taken away the final consequence of sin and death itself. As on the third day, he was raised from the dead in vindication. And now he is forming a family of brothers and sisters in what we call the church who will send out fellow workers to carry this great news everywhere. And he, not Diotrephes and not us, will have the preeminence. He will be first. And what's so amazing about him is that wonderfully the one who would have the preeminence and be first is also the one who has shown us the way of humility. In fact, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I love this poem by a man named Charles Ross Weed that captures the difference between Jesus the servant and Alexander the Great. I'll only share two lines for it, but I pray it will help distinguish us from Diotrephes. 
He wrote this, Jesus and Alexander died at 33. One lived and died for self. One died for you and me. Jesus and Alexander died at 33. The Greek made all men slaves. The Jew made all men free. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that this humble king is able to give you what is rightfully his. He is able to transfer you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. He is able to make you right with God by giving you a righteousness that is not your own. All you have to do to take hold of what he offers is by humility to humble yourself and repent of your sins and turn to him in trust and in faith alone. If that's you this morning, we would love to talk with you about what it looks like to humble yourself before a holy God, admit that you are a sinner and cry out for the righteousness that only he can provide. And brothers and sisters, what an immense privilege we have to serve this king and to do so as brothers and sisters. You know, my brothers and I got into it a lot growing up. I think we won that fight, by the way. But now we're incredibly close. In fact, we communicate almost every single day. They're all in gospel ministry. And growing up, we were really competitive with each other, but today we have each other's back. In fact, you might say, I do everything I can to make sure my brothers flourish. So I appeal to you this morning that if that is true for biological brothers, how much more so should it be true of us who Aristides says are brothers and sisters not bound by blood ties alone, but brothers and spirit, brothers and sisters after the spirit and in God. And who knows what might happen because of our cooperation together. It might just be that years from now, a pillar type network is springing up in places like North Korea and Saudi Arabia, and they are thinking about third John, wondering how can we send people all around the world that it might even be a benefit for us and for our grandchildren. We do not know what will happen because of a third John type cooperation, but we do know this. It will be worthy of God because we will become fellow workers for the truth. And the truth has a name, Jesus of Nazareth, the friend of sinners who knows his sheep and he knows you by your name. Father, thank you so much for your word. May we humble ourselves this morning. And then Father, may we be those who can cooperate. Father, for the sake of the one who left his heavenly home, may we cooperate together well as spiritually bound brothers and sisters. Father, I pray that you would bless this congregation in amazing ways, that their love would abound for one another and that that would extend beyond this church to others. And that, Father, we would be able to look back because of the cooperation from this church and others like it and say, this is a mighty thing. It is the Lord's doing and it is pleasing in our eyes. So, Father, would you bless in only the way you can. We need your supernatural help this morning to, one, be these kind of Christians, but also to see this kind of work get done. Father, please bless the brothers and sisters here. Help us to look more and more like Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.